So I've been asked like three times this week, like, what are you doing with charcoal on the stage? And I said, can I just grill out on stage? Um, anyway, the fire chief said no. I'm kidding. I didn't ask him. But what I want to talk to you today, what I want to talk to you about today is, you know, passion and faith. And when you say, what in the world does charcoal have to do with passion and faith? But charcoal has a lot to do with this. It has a lot to do with you, and we're going to put you in the place of charcoal as we move through this morning. Is that okay? Everybody, everybody be charcoal today? Is that all right? You guys are like, what? I did not come to church to be called charcoal. I've been called a lot of things in my life, right? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30, and look at a story, a key story in the history of Israel and the beginning of the nation of Israel. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30, let's read this story. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daylight or daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Bible and national defense and what the Bible has to say about laws, military, law enforcement, and so on. And so as we begin to look at that, one of the things that we realized last week is that in the Old Testament, whenever God takes a physical form, it is Jesus. And so what we have in this story is Jacob physically fighting and wrestling with Jesus to the point that Jesus says, okay, what is your name? Who are you? You know, who, uh, Jacob says, who are you? And the man touches his hip and breaks it. But in this, just prior to this wrestling match between Jesus and Jacob, we see Jacob does something at night. He sends his wives and his kids on across the stream. And then he takes all of his possessions and he sends them across the stream. And he's left alone. It's a powerful move, to say the least. It's a powerful move. And what I want to talk to you today about passion and faith I want to talk about your personal one-on-one -on -one time with God. I want to talk about that moment. How do you get the most out of that? How do you get the most out of that? 
Jacob says, all my family go across the stream. I want to be left alone. Not only that, but he takes all of his possessions, all of his things, and he sends them across the stream, and he's alone now. And what I want to tell you is this, that if you're going to get with God, and if you're going to spend time with God so that you are changed when you're done spending time with God, all of your possessions and all of your family have to get out of the room. They have to go away. No distractions. When I'm personally spending time with God, the phone goes out, the phone goes out. Right? The phone is shut off. The family's out. Men, let me tell you, it's one of the best ways to get quiet time. Honey, I'm going in, I'm going in the other room. Don't bother me. I'm going to spend time with God. That's the only time that my wife ever says, yes, okay, and she actually leaves me alone. Guys, I'm telling you, it's like a great thing. Right? <laughs> she's, she's shaking her head no. Anyway. Jacob does this. He gets alone with God, and he says, all of you go, I'm going to stay here at night. Now, this is a move of faith. This is saying, God, I'm going to be alone, and I'm going to trust that you're going to bless me. I trust that I'm going to get something from you. It's nighttime. Things don't look good. Things aren't, things aren't well. Things aren't going good. You can't see at night. Jacob doesn't have night vision goggles. He can't see at night, but he knows that he's got to get this stuff out. Because something's about to change. Something's about to be different. And our prayer should be that when we go to spend time, one-on-one -on -one time with God in our homes or in our cars or in nature or wherever it is that you go, for your one-on-one -on -one time with God, it should be such that, okay, God, I'm alone and I'm here. Let's talk. Let's meet. All distractions gone. Nothing worse than being distracted in a conversation, right? Wives, you know this. You talk to your husband during a ball game, right? And everything that you said is just gone. Nothing worse than having a conversation with somebody and you keep getting interrupted. Your kids keep coming up, mom, dad, mom, dad, right? It's like, stop, I'm trying to talk to your mom. I'm trying to talk to your dad. And so Jacob says, I'm going to talk with God and I want everything to go away. And I trust by faith that I'm going to get something from God. I trust by faith that I have removed all the obstacles and I'm going to spend time with God and I'm going to get something by faith. And it doesn't matter if it's night or daytime. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, faith beholds her visions in the night. She needs not, she needs not earthly light. A blind man loses nothing by the set of the sun. And faith loses nothing by the removal of outward evidence. What I want to tell you is this. I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know what you're praying for. But faith says, I don't care what the outside circumstance looks like. I believe anyway. That my faith and my hope and my trust is in Christ and what he says in his word. And if he says it in his word, then he's faithful over his word. And he will see to it that it comes to fruition or that it comes to pass. And so Charles Spurgeon says, listen, it doesn't matter what your surroundings look like if we can trust God and know that God is going to move despite our circumstances because he is ever faithful. This is what he says. He goes, faith isn't moved by outside circumstances because it believes anyway. It knows anyway. And as that faith grows in your one-on-one -on -one time with God, as that faith moves forward, here's what happens. It begins to display something to other people, passion. And passion is contagious. If you've ever been in a locker room and you've got that one passionate player, it becomes contagious. 
It becomes like, okay, yeah, we can do this. We are going to beat these guys. We are going to win. Passion is contagious. And here's how I know people that have spent time with God. They're passionate about God. When you walk up to them, they're not asking you who won the game, and they're not asking you about that new 38 you just bought. They're not asking you about your job. They're asking, what God say to you? And they're talking about God. And they're passionate about the relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the first signs that I check with myself is, okay, what's the first thing you're asking them? And oftentimes it's, how are you doing? And then we get this standard pat reply, okay, I'm fine. Right? Now we all know better than that. I've lived, I've lived in the world long enough to know better than that. Have you? Have you guys figured out that people say they're okay and they're really not? Because it's just kind of the thing to do, right? Right? But people who are passionate about their God spend time with their God. They spend time with it. And then what happens is when they miss their time with God, there's a longing inside of them that yearns for more time with God. And it begins to grow. You feed it and it grows. You feed it and it grows. Let me give you, I mean, I could reference food, right? That would be obvious. You eat more of it, you grow. Sometimes some of you are still growing up and some of you are growing out. Some of you are going vertical, some are going horizontal. But it's okay. It's part of aging, right? But I want to share something else with you, something that I set out to do about three weeks ago. And I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. But I set out to, as, as I work out in the gym, and I go to the gym to work out, I sat in place, and you can ask my wife, I've got a calendar on my bed for May and June. And I said, for the next 30 days, I usually alternate leg day, upper body, lower body, alternate. I said, but for the next 30 days, there's no altering the upper body. For 30 days straight, except for one day a week, I'm going to take off and let my upper body rest. I'm working out my upper body every day. Every day. I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it. And yeah, like if you jab right here, I'm kind of sore. But you know what happened? And I didn't expect this. The day that I don't go to the gym, my body's like, what are you doing? Like my mind is like, what are you doing? Get to the gym. My body has started, has started to crave the weights. This is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> but something has happened because I've spent time doing it and I've trained my upper body now for three weeks straight. Get to the gym, get to the gym, get to the gym. I woke up at 4.15 the other morning, couldn't go back to sleep. Well, might as well go to the gym. Went to the gym, Right? And something happens to your body. When you begin to do something repeatedly over and over and over and over, you grow a craving for it. You grow a desire for it. What could be a better and bigger desire than your time with God? To say, God, make me more, look more like you. I want to be in your image. Enough of me. See, the problem with sin is, is that sin is a small S and a small N and the big I in the middle. It's what I want to do. I'd rather just sleep in and go fishing today. I'd rather go just spend time with the family. And here's the thing. A lot of the things that we're tempted with aren't bad things. They're good. But good things carried into excess become bad. Right? Unless we're talking about Jesus. And so Jacob says, everybody get to the other side. My family, go to the other side. All my possessions to the other side. I'm going to meet with God. 
He wasn't satisfied with where he was. And I pray for all of us that none of us would be satisfied with where we're at spiritually. All of you that were just baptized, the race just started. Baptism is not the finishing act. Baptism is the gun at the beginning of the race. And now it starts. Now it's on. The growth process is now on. And what I want for you that were baptized today, what I want you to understand is this. That you will get out of God what you put into God. You will. Here's the beauty of spiritual maturity. I have met people that are 17 and 16 years old that are far more spiritually mature than those that are 80. Why? Because spiritual maturity is not dependent on time. It's dependent on obedience in the relationship with Jesus Christ as he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. And as you learn to rely on him and as you learn to trust in him, I have seen teenagers that are far more spiritually mature than those people that are knocking on death's door who've walked with God for 60 years. It's possible. It just depends on how hungry you are and how much you want it and how much you desire it. And so Jacob said, everybody get away. Number one, I got to get alone with God. I have to be alone. I have to get by myself. And then as he's by himself, Jesus shows up and he begins to wrestle with God. He begins to wrestle with God. And as he's wrestling he says, you're not going anywhere until you bless me. That should be our cry. When we're one-on-one -on -one with God, God, I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. I'm not leaving until you do something in my life that causes me to look different. It causes me to change. That you're so passionate and so on fire for God that you want him more than you want your own desires. You want him more than you want to hang out with your friends. You want God more than you want anything else. That's what it's about. And so when Jesus realizes he can't get away, he says he touched his hip and he broke it. He just touched his hip and broke his hip. And that broken hip would cause Jacob to walk around with a limp the rest of his life. And everywhere he went, he would have to explain What's your limp? Why are you limping? And he'd have to say, because I got alone with God, and I'm not the same. I've been broken by Jesus. And everybody that comes to Jesus has to come to a point in their life where they say, I am broken. I can't be made whole unless I have the Holy Spirit in me, because I've seen what I'm capable of. I know that my life without Jesus is not complete. It's not whole. And so I want to say to those of you that have been baptized today, stay broken. Stay broken. You have to be broken before God. You have to walk with that limp, realizing that if I let go of Jesus, I will start to slip back into my carnal man. I will start slipping back into the things that he saved me from. Right? He didn't just save you from hell. He saved you from yourself. So that you could be made in the image of Christ. Through the renewing of your mind. So that your identity would become what the gospel says you are and not what you feel or think. And so he had to be broken. Now here's the beautiful thing about being broken. How many of you have ever heard of this Japanese pottery called, uh, I'm not going to say this right, Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Anybody heard of Kintsugi? I've got three, four, 
five, six, okay, seven, okay, a few of you, okay, I'm done counting. This isn't math class. I'm done counting. But in kintsugi, what Japanese do is they'll take a piece, like this porcelain heart, and they'll make it whole. And then they will break it. It's broken. And then they will take 14 karat gold, melt it down, bring the pieces together, and let the gold run through the cracks and remake it. Kintsugi. Anybody who comes to Jesus has to come to Jesus and go, I'm broke. Here's my problems. So that when the Holy Spirit enters us, he says, you become the light of the world. And it's through your brokenness that his light shines in Kintsugi. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6, Paul writes this. He says that for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He says, inside of you is this light. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to shine out of us, People will begin to see Christ in us. They will see our brokenness. They will see that it's because of our brokenness and because of Christ we're made whole. The Bible says that we are all earthen vessels. And you know what happens in Kintsugi? Because now it's broken and it's allowed the gold, you know, that gold in the Kintsugi, in the cracks, when they put it back together, is more valuable than it was before it was broken. The value goes up astronomically because of the gold in its brokenness. And so when we come to Christ, the Bible says that we are earthen vessels. When we come to Christ, we say, God, break me. This is Jacob. God, bless me. God says, first, I get, before I can bless you, I have to break you. Some of us have to be broken before God can bless us. God has to prepare us for his blessing or we would ruin it. Here's what I want us to understand. That we are more connected in our brokenness than we are our wholeness. You ever talk to somebody that's gone through a really horrible thing? And they share with you, like, the ugliness of it? And how either they're in the middle of it, or they're coming out of it, or they're on the other side of it? And what happens? You have, you have empathy and compassion for them. Now, on the, in a contrast, have you ever talked to somebody who is like the one-upper? Who knows, who knows the one-upper? Like, it doesn't matter what story you tell. It's okay, raise your hands. If you don't raise your hands, you're probably the one-upper. No matter what story you tell, they've got a better story, right? The one-upper. Now, or somebody tells you, like, yeah, it was like the fourth quarter, and I threw the touchdown, and we won, right? Or they tell you some great story about themselves, and you sit back and go, oh, that's really cool. Okay, great. You might get a little jealous or envious, or I don't know. 
right? But there's not much connection. You don't really bond. You know where we bond with each other? In our brokenness. This is why it's so important that we come before God and say, God, without you, I'm not whole. I'm not complete. I see where my mind goes. I see what happens in my life. I see my desires. I see things that aren't right in me. Break me. So that when we come together as a body of believers, we are all a bunch of kintsugis walking around broken. Church isn't for people that are whole. Church is a spiritual hospital for people that are broken. We should never come to the church thinking, I have to get my act together before I show up. Show me that in the Gospels. Where did Jesus say, no, 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 before I heal you, you got to get yourself together first. Jesus never did that. And so when we share our brokenness, it creates a bond that our wholeness never will. It creates a connectivity that our wholeness never will. I wonder how many of us are willing to walk with a limp because God broke something in us, broke our pride, broke the need to, I have to feel good, so I'm going to go do this to make me feel good. Whatever it is, whatever hole that is that you're trying to fill without Jesus, let Jesus fill the hole, but more importantly, let him break it apart and bring it back together the way he wants it brought back together. The third thing that we find in this story with Jacob is this. The blessing comes in the change. If you want God to bless your life, it comes through the change. Jacob got alone. He was broken and walked with the rest of his life. He walked with that limp to have to share his story. Here's where I'm broken. And then the blessing came. In fact, it says in verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. This should be our cry with God when we are alone with him. God, break me. I'm not sitting down to say a little prayer and read a devotional, give it some thought, and get up and walk away. I'm, we got to get beyond that. Because usually what that does is just makes us feel good, and then we can put a check in our box for the day. Yep, got that done. But instead, set aside time and go, okay, God, I'm with you. I've gotten rid of all my distractions, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to pray until you begin to change something in me. And I'm not leaving this place. And I can tell you in my own personal life that my best times with God is when I have decided not to leave that closet or that room or that place, wherever I am. And I'll read. And I'll just, me and my Bible, and I'll just read. And I'll just pray. And I'll be like, okay, I didn't get anything. All right, I'm not leaving here until you show me something. And he'll show me something. And I might have to read a chapter three or four times. And then something, that light comes on. I'll be like, okay, that's, that's good. And I'll think about that for a while. I'll say, okay, well, that's great. I want more. I want more. I'm hungry for more of you. Break me. It's not enough that you just show me something, God. Break me so that when the Holy Spirit shines through me, people see my brokenness, and then I can bring other people to you. 
Because it's in our brokenness that we're made whole. And that should be our cry. That's what I want for you. You can tell people that have done that in their personal time with God versus just reading a devotional, checking the box and going on their business because they're on fire and they're passionate for God. They want more. They want more. They're not satisfied. Here's the beauty of God. He's infinite. And so because God's infinite, you can get infinitely more and more and more. You can never exhaust God, ever. We get exhausted. Whew, what time is it? Right? Oh, man, it's really nice out. I got to hurry up, preacher. I got to get my yard mode. Right? Like, all of the, you'd be surprised, the silly thoughts. Never in a million years, if you were at home, would you think, I need to get to yard mode while you're watching TV. But coming to church, sit in church, and suddenly you got a yard to mow. Because the enemy will constantly just bombard your brain with all this stuff you've got to do. Right? And you say, no, Satan, I'm not listening to that. I'm not going to listen to that. It's the fight that brought about the change that brought about the blessing. And if you want God to really bless you, then fight and wrestle with him in your one-on-one time. Wrestle with God. Read that chapter over again. Pray over it again. Start asking those questions. You know, we learned in elementary school, who, what, where, when, why. Because here's the significance of the name change. Here's where it became blessing. The name Jacob means supplanter, the one who deceives. But when he wrestled with Jesus, Jesus changed his name to Israel, which means upright or one who contends with God. He went from being a deceiver to being somebody who's upright. Somebody who deceives to get what they want. The story of him and his brother Esau he stole his brother's birthright. He robbed his brother of all of the blessings that he was supposed to get. And here's what I want to tell you. Somebody who understands their worth to God can say, nope, I'm not leaving here. I want more from you. I didn't say more money. I didn't say a bigger house. I want more relationship with you so that I look more like you and less like me. I want more of you. I'm not going anywhere, God, until you give me more. And it's in that pressure of your one-on-one relationship with Jesus. It's that pressure that begins to shape and mold you. Jacob here spent his life running and fleeing from his brother until at the end of their lives they came together. Moses before he led the children out of Egypt, spent 40 years in the desert by himself being molded and shaped by God. David spent years running in the wilderness alone with God because he was being hunted by King Saul and the elite forces of Israel. Paul, the apostle Paul, when he came to Christ, spent time in the desert alone with God and came back as we know him the man who would write the majority of the New Testament. Anybody who's done anything major in the kingdom of God has gone through this one-on-one pressing in their personal relationship with Jesus. The coal, here's the thing. (laughs) Too many people, too many of us see ourselves like this. Uh, I'm just a piece of coal. If you just go through life as a piece of coal, 
You know what the world will do? It'll use you up. It'll burn you up. And it'll leave you an ash heap. The world will burn you with, you know, all that stuff that goes on at the bar, all that stuff that goes on in your head, all of that stuff that goes on. It'll just burn you and leave you for waste. But when you realize your worth and allow the pressure of your one-on-one time with God, God, begin to mold me and begin to shape me. Pressure in your one-on-one time with God will turn you into a diamond. Something valuable that people will sit up and take notice and go, whoa, you're different. So I wonder, rather than a $12 bag of charcoal that can burn and leave in an ash heap, I wonder what this bag's really worth if I put it underneath a bunch of pressure. Yeah, 12 bucks at a store. But with the right amount of pressure, each coal by itself, one-on-one, becomes a diamond. And it's no longer a $12 bag of coal. Under the right pressure with the Holy Spirit, and your one-on-one time with God, as you wrestle with God, you can go from this to a diamond. But I can only, if I know my worth and my value, only then can I go to God and say, wait a minute, you died for me, you love me, you want to change my identity, then I must be worth something. And if I'm worth something to you, then begin to change me, mold me, and shape me. And in that one-on-one time, God will begin to change you. Hear me out. Pressure from the world isn't enough to shape you. It will only break you down and beat you up. Only pressure from your time with the Holy Spirit will shape you into what you need to be. I promise you, you're not a cheap $12 bag of charcoal. There's something greater in each one of you. And only the one who made you and called you by name can bring that out of you as you spend time with him to look back over your life and go, okay, I wasn't the same person I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I can hear God's voice, not maybe audibly, but I know when God's speaking and I can obey and go. And I can make an impact in his world that he's going to come back and redeem. Let's stand up this morning. I want to invite you this morning, if you're here, and you've not turned over your heart that is like coal and hard and I'll do things my way, I'll do it the way I want, then you're going to have to fend for yourself and you're going to be stuck in a world that's going to burn you up and leave you behind. Or you can commit yourself to Christ and say, God, bring out of me what you know is inside of me. These people that were baptized today and Emma and Georgia Manning that were baptized last night and their mom that were baptized last night, they chose to say, I want to start being pressured by you, God, and not set on fire by the world with its lusts and its passions.
If that's you and you're here this morning, and you, as we close out in song, I want to invite you to come forward and I want to pray with you to accept Christ. Say, God, change my heart. Change me. I want to be kintsugi for you and light up the world and increase my value because I know if you break me down, you will build me back up to be more valuable. Amen? You guys ready to have an amazing week? Listen, you're not a nothing. There's something inside of you, and your maker wants to bring it out. So I want to invite you this week to get one-on-one with Jesus and say, God, start pressuring me. Bring out my value so that I can shine for you. Amen? Amen. You guys have an awesome week. We love you.